0: Your hosts have earned a reputation as fierce and effective advocates inside and outside of the courtroom. Both partners are experienced trial attorneys who have been board certified in family law by the Texas Board of Legal Specialization.
1: Welcome back. Thanks for tuning into For Better, or Worse, or Divorce podcast. This is where we provide you tips and insight on how to navigate divorce and child custody situations. I'm Jake Gilbreth. I'm here with my partner, Brian Walters. And today is the first episode in our divorces and businesses series. We're going to discuss what happens when there's a business involved or when the spouse owns a business or spouses own a business together and it's involved and they're going through a divorce. So we see this quite a bit. Brian, you and I, I know, get hired a lot when there's businesses involved, and it could be something as small as sole proprietorship, or just one person who's, you know running a business and maybe have an employee here or there to much, much more complex businesses, and businesses that maybe gross 50,000 dollars a year to businesses that gross 50 million, 500 million a year, or what have you. And, you know, they all look somewhat similar, but then obviously they get they can get more and more complex depending on the business. But first, Brian, most importantly, if I own a business or my spouse owns a business or we own a business together and we're talking about divorce or I'm thinking about going through a divorce, what can I do as a business owner or married to somebody who owns a business? What can I do to prepare for the divorce?
0: Well, if you think that's going to happen, I think there's there's a couple of things uh, that you're going to want to do. You're going to want to make sure your books are in order, you know, that you're doing your accounting, your taxes are being filed properly. There's no, you know, you're not three years behind on them. You're, there's not any funny business with the books. There's not any cash being pocketed. There's not any expenses being run through the business that are probably not properly done. I'd also want to make sure that all of my regulatory filings were in order, you know, whether that's with the Secretary of State, we've already mentioned the taxing authorities, both the state of Texas and the federal ones, any local ones, DBAs, make sure your corporate paperwork, your corporate minutes, all of those things are in order. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I'd also try to be conservative with the business as you enter that point, try to put aside cash, pay down debt. We'll get into why. I think that's important in a little bit, but those are some of the initial things I would try to do. Not, and and I guess lastly, don't do anything that might be misinterpreted by somebody as underhanded or attempting to gain an advantage in, in the divorce because it's going to, even if that's not the intention, it, it may come across that way and, and be turned into an issue, which I think would be un, unfortunate.
1: Yeah, I think generally speaking, I tell people keep doing what you're doing with the business. And, you know, that, and that's the same as far as paying yourself. I had a you know, I've, I've had people ask me and say, well, I pay myself or I pull $30,000 a month out of the business or 20000 a month out of the business. Should I stop that? Should I continue that? In most cases, the advice is going to be just keep doing what you're doing because it's just going to make it messier and more complex if you change things up. But yeah, like you said, Brian, make it. As clean as the business can be, and and that includes the books too, right? I mean, we're business owners and stuff. We put a lot of work and effort into making sure our books are in order and everything's up to date. And we have, when I say a lot of effort, we have really talented people that work for us that do that, work with us and, and do that. Maybe you haven't updated QuickBooks in six months or a year, or you've been meaning to get your personal expenses to your CPA and you just have not it. Like It's nice to sort of get all that updated because one thing that is or could be happening in the divorce is the business gets valued. So can you talk about that, Brian? Like, what are the options? You know, what am I preparing for? If I've got a business, I own a business, I'm going through a divorce, what's going to happen with the divorce, with the business and the divorce?
0: Good question, and that's a pretty complex, broad question. So the first question is, who owns the business, right? Is it do you have partners? Is it in one spouse's name or both spouses' names, or what corporate format is it? Is it a partnership or sole proprietorship or LLC or whatever the case is? Is it a C corporation? Is it an S corporation? And the next part is the character of the share or the ownership by each spouse. Is it community property or separate property? And those are complex legal questions that are very important. And in some cases, if it's, you know, for example, if it's 100% the separate property of a spouse, you might actually have some different <laughs> answers to some of the things we mentioned earlier about distributions and, and salaries and those type of things. So that's the first thing that needs to be done. And once you've figured that out, then you can kind of go from there. So in the example where there's a there's other owners of the business besides one or both of the spouses, you've got to be really careful because now you've got fiduciary duties, either spouse or potentially the community or any number of things was going to have fiduciary duties to the other owners. And so you've got to be careful with that, but let's just take the sort of the simple example where each side, each spouse owns 50% of a corporation um, and it's all community property. I mean, in that case, you're going to need to make, a decision at some point about well what's going to happen is the husband or the other spouse who's going to end up with the property or are you going to continue in business together or are you going to just sell it to a, a third party and and take the cash so those are that's kind of the big fork in the road after you determine the entity ownership specifics
1: yeah and i've had people ask yeah the 50/50 example that you give Why don't we just continue to own this together? Or even if there's, you know, the spouses own 25%, why don't we just split it 12.5%, 12.5% and go on down our merry ways that we don't devalue it or anything like that? That can be done. I don't think I've ever, be curious if you have, Brian. I don't think I've ever seen anybody actually do that. And generally, I tell people if you can't stay married together, what makes you think that you can run a business together? And then, of course, if you have, you know if you're the spouse and say y'all own marriage, the community just owns fifty percent, and then there's a you know a partner. Well, what if that and so okay, well let's just stay let's just stay business owners with this partner. Well, what if that partner is buddies with one of the spouses, right? And then all of a sudden you get you find yourself getting outvoted on everything. Because you have a minority interest and then your ex-spouse is buddies with the other partner or other partners. It just creates all sorts of messes. I've never – I don't know if you have, Brian. I've never seen anybody actually do it where they co-own a business. I've seen them do – they have like an investment maybe. You know, you have an investment in a startup or something like that.
0: That's what I was going to say. I think there's two situations that let's say that the business was strictly they own 100 apartment units. Right. And they have a property management company that that administers them. In that case. Yeah. You could potentially stay partners together. You'd still need this. The typical things you need with any business partnership. Some if somebody wants the issue is always somebody wants to exit. Right. They want to sell all their part of their shares. How do we do that? which is you know, what happens in a divorce a lot of times. But that's a situation where there's not day-to-day running of the company. You're both fine with it. It kicks off cash. You don't really have any work to do. I could see those kind of folks staying in business, and I have had a couple of those happen. There's some other ones where there's no choice but to sell, right? Like, for example, a, a law partnership. Our, neither one of our spouses are attorneys in Texas. Only attorneys can own Law on parts of law firms. And so, you know, even though it's a community interest that we have, we can't stay, you know, 50, 50 partners with our spouses for our ownership of it because our spouses aren't lawyers. Right. So that's going to there's no choice but to do some type of big, big uh, buyout in that particular situation. So but most of the time, you're right. I mean, someone's going to either buy the other spouse out or they're just going to sell it to a third party. Um, either that that half share or the entire company to get someone out of the company.
1: It's like a house, right? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're probably not going to own the house together after after divorce. In theory, we could, but we're probably not going to. So we're either going to sell it or somebody's going to take it at a value. By the way, you know, you talk about law practices. You know, the other spouse can't. A non, non-lawyer lawyers. the same as medical practices, which we see a lot, right? A non-doctor can't own. A medical practice. So a lot of times the doctor spouse is the one getting the practice. And then it's a question of what's the value? So what's the value of my business? There's a long discussion and we talk about it on our website a lot. And it's obviously more complex than just a 20 minute podcast, but just generally speaking, Brian, how do you figure out the value of the business? and, And why is it not just I'll pull my balance sheet, here's the assets, here's the debts, pull out a calculator, and there's the value.
0: Right. It's often a lot less than one would think as far as we calculate that in Texas, because we have a difference between what's personal goodwill and enterprise goodwill, which is technical terms. But basically, I, I like to say that it's sort of like, well, what happens if you both died or whoever's in running the business died? Right. What is the business worth? Let's say I was a solo practitioner, a lawyer or a solo doctor or solo CPA or consultant or something like that. And i may X number of dollars per year. Let's say I made $500,000 a year. So, well, you can go online and you might find that businesses are often valued at somewhere between three and five times the profit, trailing profit. So let's say four times. So is my business worth $2 million, right? Four times 500,000. The answer is really no, because that's essentially my salary. It's my personal goodwill. That's what is being brought into it. And if I died, if I have a a solo law practice there wouldn't be one right no one's going to hire a dead lawyer and so there's really in that case no really no value to the business other than my name if that's uh, which is my personal goodwill to simplify things versus the alternative where the business is let's say the real estate example that's 10 million dollars worth of rental real estate that's managed by a you know some other company that's kicking off $3 million a year. Well, the value of that would be very different, right? Because it doesn't matter if I'm alive or dead, right? There's real estate that's paying us money. I'm not managing anything. So those are two extremes. And they would have very different valuations because of just the nature and, and type of the business, even though they might be making a similar amount of money.
1: Usually, I don't know about your experience, Brian, usually this, this personal goodwill discount, because, you know, it up, businesses are, are valued as an ongoing concern, right? Right. It could be the value of the balance sheet. Oftentimes, it's an ongoing concern. So you see the experts using what's called the income approach or discounted cash flow approach. You know, let's look at what this business has made, apply a cap rate, apply discounts. And then and then th- think about Shark Tank, right? It's like you said, Brian, it's three to five times X of what your your profit is. It's not just the money you have at the bank and the assets you have. But I'm like you, Brian. It's like you say, what happened if I got hit by a bus? How much would you pay for this business? The way I sort of describe it in court or to juries, to, to judges and the juries, it's If I've got a business and you're handing me a check and I'm handing you the keys to the business and I say, okay, here's the keys. By the way, I'm not retiring. I'm going across the street and I'm going to compete with you and I'm calling every single client and seeing if they'll leave with me. I'm calling every single employee and seeing if they'll leave with me. Would you pay the same amount for the business as then you would if I was retiring or signing a non-compete? Probably wouldn't. You know, the other, it's like you said too, Brian, the example of the medical practice. If it's the dental practice of Jake Gilbreth, you're probably not going to pay a bunch of money for that, particularly if Jake Gilbreth is going across the street and opening the real dental practice of Jake Gilbreth, competing with you. But if it's Austin Dental Practice, which is a name I just made up, so I hope that's not an actual business in town. But if it's Austin Business Dental Practice, I may not care who the dentist is I'm running that thing or who the dentists are. I may or may not. So it's going to have a different value. Brian, how big of swings can this cause Well, first of all, who's determining the personal goodwill, the value overall, including the personal goodwill discounts? Is that you doing that? And then how big of a swing can these, this discount and other discounts cause in the valuation?
0: And really, I mean, to answer the last question, first, huge swings. And um sort of example I was given earlier it's different between something being worth 0 and being worth millions and millions of dollars depending on on the nature of it so who determines it well you know ideally the marketplace right if if it was a big enough company you'd have it listed on the stock market and we'd be able to say you know it's worth this much but that's not most companies so the second alternative is to if the decision is let's just put it up for sale to some other third party then the answer would essentially be whatever a willing buyer is to pay for it, but that doesn't happen in most cases, and so most of the time we wow. have to have a evaluation made by the court, and the court's going to rely on experts who have training in the field, and they're going to apply principles that are they're commonly accepted. There's a number in the state that do it. Um, by the way, you can, you know, as a business owner, you can give an opinion as to your own view of the valuation. You know, that might be that might be colored, might be biased, it might be accurate, right? I mean, there's. Uh, a lot of truth to it sometimes, but um, and the answer is, of course, we really don't know because we don't. We're, we're trying to, like you said, it's discounted cash flow in the future, we, and nobody knows what the future is going to hold. But we have to make best guesses, and so we have experts who do that and apply all kinds of you know complex discounts and calculations and those type of things to come up with the number. Frequently, you'll have the husband and the wife will each hire their own expert they'll come up with uh, two different competing values sometimes you'll agree on somebody that you trust that to just have to do it one time and have a number my experience has been that most of the time when they're competing experts that their their numbers are relatively similar to each other they're not in they're different often but it's not a huge difference but what are your experiences and thoughts on that
1: yeah, same. And first of all, it's yeah, hire two things. Hire, you know, obviously your your lawyer needs to be hiring an expert. It needs to be an expert that knows what he or she's doing. Unfortunately, just like lawyers, doctors, just like any profession, there's some people that frankly don't know what they're doing or do a bad job at it, and that can really be a disadvantage to the clients and really the the family as a whole because it can cause. Disputes where there shouldn't be disputes. I mean, in an ideal world, I always say because we'll talk about discovery in a second. I always say the more open book you can be when you're doing a business valuation, the better. And having both experts talking and working together is a lot of times better. It's counterintuitive uh, to think, do I? Why would I want the information my expert has being shared with what the other expert is looking at? I mean, first of all, you have to under the rules of discovery, but second of all. The really good ones, what they do is they talk, they share information, they make sure they're looking at the same data, because how confusing is that for a judge you know, or a jury if it's wife's expert, I valued this business as of June this year, and, and the other spouse's expert says, well, I did it as of December, and I looked at old financials, I looked at new financials, I looked at this version of QuickBooks, I looked at that version of QuickBooks, I talked to this key per- point person, I talked to that key point person, that's not helpful. So the experts talking, so you have really good experts on both sides. They talk and they look at the same data. And a lot of times they'll come to you and they say, we have the same number for what we think the projected income is for this business. We actually have the same cap rate. We actually have the same discount for lack of marketability. But, you know, wife's expert says it's X personal goodwill discount. Husband's expert says it's Y personal goodwill discount. And we can't agree, so you guys have to go litigate that. And so rather than litigating for a judge or a jury, these complex numbers here or there, you know, what spit out this number, and some judge who's trying her best to follow this but may not have the background in it, that's really hard to do. That's hard for me as a lawyer to do. I see these all the time. But if you get it down to, hey, it's just this one issue, judge. Their expert says 50% personal goodwill discount. Our expert says it's a 20% personal goodwill discount. You got to make that determination. And then the rest, you just kind of plug into a calculator, and It spits out the numbers. That's the way to do a dispute and a divorce where it's the most cost efficient and you get your issue litigated and you get a rational decision as opposed to we just all kind of vomit information on a judge or a jury and say you pick a number. Because it's going to be, it's not going to give the judge the information she needs. So on that, Brian, talk about the issue of discovery when there's a divorce, which is one of my least favorite conversations to have with clients, particularly the business owner, of the amount of discovery that can happen when there's a divorce in a business.
0: Right. And I mean, it's, you know, it's an open book system that we have. Essentially, the uh, discovery just means both sides have the right to discover or learn about what's going on now there's a couple of exceptions if a business is clearly the separate property of one side or the other i would say that you're probably not going to get much info and and for good reason because it's not really terribly relevant but Generally speaking, both sides, their experts or just individually through their lawyers are going to have the right to know about the business. And that means that's pretty extensive information, right? It's certainly the financials. It's certainly the books, bookkeeping, that type of thing. But it can go farther than that. I mean, one significant asset for a business may be accounts receivable, right? Or And we'll often hear, well, yeah, we have $3 million in accounts receivable, but we're not going to collect most of it. Well, is that true or not? Is it worth $3 million if it was, you know, an, an accounts receivable out, you know, an invoice Voice out to Exxon that was legit and Exxon paid your invoices, that's probably worth three million dollars. If it's six-year-old accounts receivable in a dental practice, it's probably not worth much. So we'd need to know that type of thing. Same things with accounts payable. You know, you say you owe a bunch of money. Well, do you really? Are you really going to pay it? Can you negotiate it down? Those type of things. And you'd want to look specifically at the various assets of the business. You know, if something's if a piece of real estate's on the books for X number of dollars as an asset. Is that really the case? Do we want to get it appraised? All of those type of things. I, I don't think you're going to have unlimited access to it. You're probably not going to, you know, see all the emails between the, you know, salespeople and their sales people that they're working with. I mean, it's there's some limits to it, but it's going to be pretty much an open book. And that's why we started off by saying, you know, keep things clean and open because if even if it looks shady and it's not, it's going to probably be presented that way. And, and you're going to have a judge who's suspicious, right? I mean, it's kind of human nature to, you know, you're going to get divorced and you know, you're going to end up with the business and you're, you know, you're going to have to pay your spouse out. You're, it's human nature to want to lower the value of the business. And so they're going to be suspicious about that.
1: Well, and it's frustrating for the business owner. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, because it's probably majority of the time that the, the poor business owner I'm representing, and I get it, he or she's telling me like, Why are we doing this? I can tell you guys what this thing is worth. I know what this is worth. And I'm telling you it's worth 500,000 or a million or zero. I'm telling y'all we're crashing and burning here. Why do I have to do all this discovery? It's hard because the spouse on the other side, who's naturally going to be distrusting of you and has a lawyer in his or her ear saying, you know, trust, but verify. It's frustrating turning over all the information when you as the business owner could tell us, a lot of times legitimately could tell us what it's worth. And you have to go through this process. So it's frustrating, but we certainly help clients with that, be it a way of limiting the discovery or help them do it efficiently. You know, back to the experts talking, a lot of times it seems counterintuitive, but I'll have the client with the uh, the business. And if they do QuickBooks online, we say, give the other side access to QuickBooks so they can run whatever reports they want to do or if it's you know plugged into the wall quickbooks then put it all on a flash drive give it to them not fun to be real frank with my business owners that i represent it's not a fun process but we can help you through it and the more you can kind of give information to the other side it it's going to help the divorce move on cuz my clients a lot of them think that they can convince their spouse of what the business is worth and sometimes they can but a lot of times they are a lot of times they are thoroughly unable to convince their spouse of anything because they're going through divorce. And that's like you said, that's human nature. That doesn't make anybody a bad person. It's just the nature of things. So I guess just to wrap up quickly, Brian, kind of an obvious question, and we talk about it a lot on this podcast, but why is it important to have a, not only a lawyer when you're going through this, but a lawyer who actually has experience in dealing with divorces with businesses?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. And and you and I just did a podcast where we said some people don't need one, uh, don't need a lawyer or can probably get by with a pretty basic skilled lawyer. This is not that situation. This is the opposite. This is the equivalent on if you have kids of having, you know, let's say a, a child with a very specific needs or a parent with uh, severe issues, you know, you you need a good lawyer and you need one, not only a lawyer, but one that knows what they're doing, because this is really specific information. And I'm continually surprised at lawyers who don't understand money or business or taxes or these type of things. It's uh, startling to me. And and maybe it's because they don't have the kind of practice where they have the sophisticated clients with these issues. I don't know, but it's it's, uh, one of the areas where there's a real difference in and what your lawyer can do for you. So I, I would think you, you should definitely retain one in, in this case. And and that's probably not the only expert you're going to use. You're probably also going to need a evaluation expert, maybe even a forensic accountant, which might or might not be the same person to deal with the kind of issues you're going to have in this case and possibly a business law attorney if there's questions about the business formation or the st- the, the character or, or the paperwork or all those other kind of things. It's pretty complex. I mean, it's kind of good news, bad news, right? Like if that would be the case because you have a valuable business, but more money, more problems sometimes.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's true. And, and you know, the console just ask, right? I mean, you're talking to us or talking to whoever you say, this is the business I have. Have you seen that before? First of all, have you done a divorce with a business involved? And have you seen this type of business? I think it's a fair question. No different than if you were talking to a doctor and saying, have you seen this condition before? Do you specialize in this? Do you, you know, give, tell me your experience. I mean, it's the consultation not just us interviewing the clients. Sometimes it's the client. Or a lot of times it's the client interviewing us to make sure that we have the experience to deal with this. Because like you said, it can, it can be shocking how poorly these can be handled if it's somebody doesn't know what they're doing. So, you know, that's a broad, broad, broad overview of kind of the way businesses work in the divorce. We'll talk more about this on a, on a series. But for this episode, that's all we have for today. We'll be back in a couple of weeks for another episode on this subject in this series. As always, if you like what you heard today, please do us a favor and leave a review. We appreciate all feedback, especially when it helps us better the podcast or gives us ideas for topics or questions that you all have. If you have any questions or suggestions, reach out to us at podcast at com. I'm Jake Gilberth with Brian Walters, and thank you all for listening.
0: For information about the topics covered in today's episode and more, you can visit our website at WaltersGilbert.com. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of For Better, Worse, or Divorce, where we post new episodes every first and third Wednesday. Do you have a topic you want discussed or a question for our hosts? Email us at podcast at Thanks for listening. Until next time.